Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another, it's a beautiful spring week here in Wisconsin, and we have a brand new panelist. And her name is Priscilla Rose Bort, and she is our Movement Politics Director here at Citizen Action and our new panelist here on Battleground Wisconsin. We're happy to introduce her today. Priscilla, welcome. Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to officially be a uh, Battleground Wisconsin panelist. Yeah. Well, we are thrilled to have you. We'll talk more with you and get to know you a little bit better in a minute. But before we do that, also have to introduce Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you again this week. Good. Happy spring, everyone. Oh, it's just gorgeous out today and we deserve it. It's been a, since we had the beautiful uh, uh, summer-like weather, it's been a, a tough couple weeks here, folks. But there's no rest for the wicked here. And before we dive into, and we are going to talk a lot about the state budget, the last Joint Finance Committee hearing was yesterday. Again, we record Thursday morning. Uh, up in Minocqua, Robert was there. We're going to talk more about that later and a number of other things around the state budget. Um, but before we start diving into all of our issues, Priscilla, um, you're extraordinarily well known to, to us, of course, and uh, to, to probably many of our listeners, especially anyone who's uh, been involved in any of our electoral programs and volunteered. Um, welcome to the show and tell our listeners just a little bit more about who you are and uh uh just we're, we're thrilled to have you oh sure uh let's see uh i got my start in all of this as a campaign manager uh four years ago almost exactly uh with the milwaukee school board candidates uh and so you'll probably hear me multiple times on the podcast going forward talking about my uh passion and love for women of color campaign managers because we need more of them we need more non-traditional so we can move out of the word non-traditional uh <laughs> but before that i actually went to college to be a a teacher i was going to be a middle school special ed teacher so i also have a, a soft spot for public education and making sure that our public education folks and our wonderful educators around the state can be fully funded uh but yeah i you know really did not see myself in politics uh or nonprofit spaces but have enjoyed being in this area for the last five years now starting as a volunteer for uh mandela barnes's lieutenant governor campaign uh and then moving through and movement politics is really uh really my home i i love seeing these progressive movement candidates really put themselves out there and not compromise on their values and be who they truly are in in public and let voters know that uh so these are just things that that i enjoy doing for work outside of work to give you a little insight there i'm all about the self-care uh <laughs> you'll often see me coloring or doing puzzles while i'm on uh meetings and stuff so i can listen and also do something busy with my hands that's not multitasking and i i love it also a very summer person so i'm <laughs> feeling this sunshine very much and still wish it were a little warmer like 80s 90s 
Sounds well, great. Yeah. We, we we have you on the show for all those reasons because you bring 100% of yourself. Love that about you. Um, but the big reason is, folks, Priscilla is, in my mind, one of the foremost practitioners of what we are talking about on the show in terms of um, how do you find, recruit, train, inspire people to run for office on values that, you know, we all share, we lay that out in our, our platform and then, you know, go about the hard work of like really learning how to run for office, educating yourself, right? And Priscilla's invested years into that kind of work and is a, a campaign practitioner in terms of how you get folks elected and how you do that in a way that isn't just, you know, raising tons of money from corporate types and big campaign donors. And so we're thrilled to have her expertise and insight. And also Priscilla's a, a newer, younger leader in our movement. And so uh, we think it brings some, she brings just wonderful insight and perspective that we need because this movement needs to continue to evolve. And this podcast as we go forward, we're going to really spend a lot of time focusing with Priscilla and Robert using both of their expertise. What we think is happening in the broader progressive movement and offer much more insight on what we're experiencing, both the good and the things we need to invest in and the things that we think need to change. And we're going to try to have conversations about that and uh, bring you all along a journey with us of trying to get better at getting better so we can win and, and win the things that, you know, we all care about and that, you know, our communities desperately need. So to that end, Priscilla, welcome. I look forward to uh, uh, having you on over there, however long uh, and the conversation. But with that, I want to dive into a conversation about the state budget. Because it is now that we have moved beyond uh, the spring elections and we've been talking about the state budget on this show, it is going to be everything at the state level. Uh, this is the moment and the only part where Governor Evers really has a lot of leverage, right? He, he has to sign this budget. And the, and the legislature has to produce a budget that he signs. So they both need each other. It is a rare and unique moment. And we've talked a lot about that. But uh, this week was the final Joint Finance Committee state budget public hearing. And Robert, you were up there. It was in Minocqua, one of the, you know, more bustling metropolises of our state. Uh, I kid. I kid, of course. And nothing against Minocqua. They absolutely should have a hearing up in Minocqua. It just shouldn't be one of only four hearings for a biannual budget where so much is at stake. Robert, you were there. Give us a flavor of how this final hearing went. Um, and uh, it, from my understanding, uh, Priscilla's interests of public education, our organization's broader interest around healthcare seem to be a huge focus of the event. Robert. Well, I would say it was decently attended, but it was the least attended of the four because guess what? News alert, there are a lot fewer folks up near the UP border in Michigan than there are in other parts of the state. It's not where the people are, though there are people there and they're certainly important. 
So uh, I would say that, uh, I mean, if you look at media coverage or what you actually saw, uh, healthcare was even more prominent in this one than at the others. There's been uh, good visibility for the need for batch care expansion, the absurdity of Wisconsin being only one of 10 states with this dangerous coverage gap. Um, and the Republican transigence on this. Um, in this, it was even more prominent. I think it was second only to education. Education has, as it always does, dominate these public hearings. The frustration, the thing that, from an activist standpoint, people need to think about is, it seems like they're not listening, it doesn't matter. I mean, the uh, education advocates led by uh, WPEN, Wisconsin Progressive Ed Education Network, are tracking and counting how much testimony occurs on each side in each hearing. And it does it clearly doesn't matter. And it's very clear after a while they're not listening. This is a performative thing, unfortunately, except for how we can use it to influence public opinion and get more pressure on Republicans who have to know that there might be fair maps and some of them might actually have Democratic accountability. They've been in a situation where they have not had to have that and they can do whatever they want regardless of public opinion problem is they're not used to it and they haven't really adapted i was talking to some some of state reps on our side who say they're not sure many of them have got the memo or that they're even capable of thinking of how to play to that to a to a in a competitive election where they actually have to make a case for their policies obviously shared revenue was the was the third thing that got a lot of attention and there were other smaller issues that got a lot of attention yeah, look, Robert, that's interesting that you say that uh, Priscilla obviously is well aware of the implications of the Supreme Court race. Um, Priscilla, are you surprised to hear that um, more legislators aren't a little bit concerned about uh, what they have going forward uh, as it relates to the state budget? And then any any thoughts you might have on uh, the final joint finance hearing? Yeah, um, I'll start with the second thing. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> echo uh that yeah we should have a Minocqua uh hearing we should have more of these committee uh meetings all across the state the fact that they did it immediately after the election uh, on April 5th they knew what they were doing all they did for uh but you know it I have to get to a point where I'm stop stopping being so surprised by what Republicans do and don't do and remembering how little uh, they seem to care sometimes about things their constituents actually uh, need and that they'd get a lot more support uh, if they would support those things. These these races uh, are they're they're sweeping these races, but they could be you know, they could sweep it by even more if they if they supported publicly what their constituents actually wanted, like public you know, education funding and health care. Yeah, it's interesting. Right. Like, Robert, you brought this up and Priscilla, this this whole idea that if you are actually in a contested district. You have to care about issues like legalization of marijuana, ba expanding badger care, funding public schools, shared revenue, because you are actually, you know, going to have to go answer to those voters. And unfortunately, there's just so few of those seats right now. And Robert and Priscilla, I am interested in your thoughts as a political professional, too, on this. I think, Robert, to answer your question of why maybe some of them haven't or those others, some of those legislators haven't thought this through yet. 
I look, they were selected. They come out of the Voss dynasty, right? And many of these folks. And so they're terrified of Voss. They're like, like, I think it's hard for them to think of a different way. I think if and when, when, excuse me, there are new maps, it'll become very clear for some people. But quite frankly, people are going to have to lose. Going to have to lose elections. Yeah. Uh, Priscilla, any further thoughts you have? And then Robert, yeah, we're, we're. Uh, but we got to quick take a break. We're so when we get back from the break, first I'll go back to you, Priscilla. Any additional thoughts? And then Robert, uh, and Robert, I want to talk a, a little bit more about this hearing. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking. About the state budget, Robert attended the final Joint Finance Committee hearing. We had a lot of members up, particularly from our North Central Co-op. want to thank everybody who took the time to go up there and testify. And a lot of folks did. Saw a lot of folks from Wausau and all over the region. Um, I'm glad you engaged in this democracy, right, this part of it. It can be frustrating, uh, very frustrating, uh, because... Sometimes it feels like folks aren't listening. Priscilla, before the break, um, we were talking about the maps and whether people actually will change their approach. Any further thoughts you have about that um, and or joint finance? And then, Robert, your final thoughts on, on this topic. I have many thoughts about the maps, uh, but... You know, I think it's when, when we do finally get these maps, I'm I'm excited to see these Republicans kind of get a little scared and have to put together an actual strategy so they can have a have a race where they have to actually run. They're not used to having to do drawers and phones and texts and get out the vote tactics of, of any kinds, but having more fair maps means that they're going to have to really listen to what's been going on. I think if they haven't been listening to the Joint Finance Committee hearings, they're they're really losing out on a good opportunity to find out more things that Wisconsinites care about and what their Wisconsinites want in this budget. Yeah. Robert, give us a, give our listeners a, an example of like some of the types of testimony. Like for example, Peggy um who testified yesterday, that story, I know she brings a uh, a lighthearted uh, um, flavor to it is devastating that someone would have to get divorced to get health care, Robert. Well, you're stepping on her story, Matt. But um, so let me let me give a little more context. And that is that I think health care was even more prominent here, uh, partly because rural folks don't have employers in general, there are far fewer that provide health coverage. The main way people of who are not Medicare eligible or not poor enough, you have to be really poor to be on Badger Care, get their insurance unless they're a veteran. So there are other uh, categories. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we focus on it. And we're one of the few progressive organizations that's invested in organizing in North Central Wisconsin. So I think our North Central Wisconsin Organizing Co-op, our chapter had had an outside influence there compared to places closer in Madison, Milwaukee, where there's more competition, more organizing on more issues. So it's a reflection of the lack of investment. But Peggy McDowell from Tomahawk. So by the way, the Republican JFC folks uh, would give little digs 
when someone came from Milwaukee uh, against them and say, well, thank you for driving all the way up. Like you're not legitimate. This is the North Woods. But of course, when the pro voucher folks were all there from Milwaukee, they were treated with great respect and no dig. So they had no problem with that. But at least the voucher people didn't pack the kids on the buses all the way to Manaqua. They they shamelessly adjourned school and used the kids as props at the hearings closer to their schools, like the Waukesha one. But anyway, Peggy told the story of how she had, she and her husband had to divorce so that she could get badger care and deal with a chronic condition. And she has a she has a number of chronic conditions, like a lot of people do as they age, because age leads to pre-existing conditions generally among us humans. And so her husband used to joke that they were living in sin for, for a cause, for a good reason. Um, and which was great to say in front of those Republicans who were all like patriarchal, nuclear family, marriage, heterodoxy, everything else. Uh, I could see that they kind of shuddered at that, some of them, while trying not to look uh, in any way affected. And the audience spontaneously applauded. Uh, Peggy told the story extremely well. She also told it as a pre at a press conference that we held before the event. And uh, there was spontaneous applause. And then the audience was immediately warned by co-chair Bourne from the assembly side, the one who's announced we won't expand welfare, i.e. badger care, already, who just said, it delays all of us and we get less testimony. If you have these demonstration support, please use nonverbal things. They've used those at others. And then he blabbed on about how to show support, which of course wasted a whole lot more time than the, than, of course. than, than you know, 15 standard seconds of I'm sorry, there's that much gap between the speakers no matter what. They just don't like uh, it being shown where the public is. It's at their hearing uh, that they're listening to versus where they are. Well, the reality of these hearings, it it quite frankly, you know, we often as progressives get frustrated. Priscilla, I'm sure you've heard this from people. I don't understand why the Republicans do so well. Like on all these issues, the, the people are vastly with us, right? The folks are with us. Well, here's the deal, right? It's what the reality plays out in these hearings and but when they talk about what they're doing it sounds like a completely different planet right like they obviously don't talk about the cuts and they don't talk about how when they and they did spend this week i'd love to get both of your comments on this they spent a great deal of time in this legislature this week discussing how they could make it harder for folks to get unemployment insurance, right? And again, I hearken everyone back to remember during the pandemic when everyone was like, I don't understand the system. It, it It's it's impossible to get through the system and it kicks you out and da-da-da-da-da. I keep getting, folks, that wasn't that's how the system is intended to operate. And what they were doing this week was trying to put more hurdles in front of folks to get unemployment insurance, which by the way, those jokers in the legislature, they don't even fund that. That's a, that's a separate pool of employers. And it just shows, you know, their intentions. Uh, Priscilla, any thoughts on um, the activity of the Republicans in the legislature this week? Yeah, um, it is always, uh, I, I do also find it funny that 
we're going to spend so long talking about how let's not have interruptions and clapping for for people but uh, it's just yeah it's another week where republicans are just trying to cut things that help people and brand it you know for for what it's worth they're very good at branding these things just look at this past spring with the cash bail and welfare referendum that it's gonna it's gonna protect us um so it's 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 you know we're gonna have we're gonna have cuts we're gonna have tax cuts we won't say who they're for uh and we're gonna fund education but we're we're not gonna say what what exactly in education but they they their words they're very good wordsmiths um and it's it's frustrating to have to you know fight back against it that means we have to be even better wordsmiths about no this is what their cut their tax cut actually means not what they're saying what they what it actually means this is what they actually voted on this week yeah robert your thoughts yeah they actually don't even care to understand it because they function at a level of culture war and what can gain power. Uh, I heard a story uh, from member at uh, out in Minocqua that a state senator Robert Cowles, who's one of the only arguably sensible state senators, he's an old timer and it, it, it comes from a previous Republican party, was unaware and expressed shock that not fully funding special education was damaging education and 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 making education less financially sustainable because if you don't fully fund it you have to take it from other things and everything's underfunded but governor reaver's budget does a very good job of of making massive progress on so i mean at least senator cowles will admit it the others will pretend uh so but there's a series of bills they passed as you're referring to matt they know they won't become law uh, it's just part of their big lie that the reason people are need Medicaid, need Badger Care, need food assistance, need unemployment is because they did something wrong. And people in our society feel a lot of shame. Uh, we were a society that wants to work. Believe you me, the research shows that we're the hardest working country in the in the world of the major developed countries as far as how hard people work. And people feel miserable if they're not working. They're not given access to good jobs they can access. For a whole lot of reasons, where they are, whether they pay a living, a family supporting wage, whether they have access to childcare, you can't leave your kids and take a two hour bus ride out to the suburbs to get the job and they churn people and they won't pay enough. The business community that that that, that the WMC, the people who ran those horrendous ads and both both the last two elections are big corporate interests. They whine about a workforce shortage. They claim to believe in markets. Well, clearly the market is telling them they're not paying enough to draw workers. So you have to pay more if there's huge demand for a product. They feel totally justified in, in jacking up the price because that's the market, but they don't accept the other side of the market, which is you are a market for workers, right? And by the way, it's not just the wages. If you have a model, which American capitalists have had the last 50 years, of making the jobs as crappy as possible, and and just punishing the workers, people aren't going to as soon as they don't have to stay or not going to or going to leave your job and try to find something that's at least humane in order to in order to in order to uh, spend their work lives. And the worst one of these, I'll just say, is Assembly Bill One Forty Eight. I mean, they're all bad, but I'll call it out. 
it what a time where 300,000 people are, are going to lose their badge of care because of the public emergency ending and all the re-enrollment and the complication, which is already too much complication. They want to add complication. They want to make you reprove your eligibility every six months, and they don't want any, they want the state to check against all of their databases, but never auto fill out anything and make them fill it out by paper. It'll cost 60 million extra a year to do it. And it's absurd. And it's based on it's as big a lie that this that there's this massive fraud that people who could have insurance choose badger care instead and defraud that it's as big a lie as election lies and our side doesn't talk about that much one of the other big lies we've we've talked about this on the show before and listeners you'll hear this often as means testing and what's important to understand and we have harped on this and will continue to and we think it's terrible when democrats try to talk about and insert means testing as a way where they start thinking about, oh, well, we can do these budgetary things that are on the margins. But one, it costs money to means test. It's unnecessary, makes the program inherently, you put up hurdles, people will stumble on the hurdles. And there will be people who should be getting those benefits who won't unnecessarily versus who you catch in those costs. And what what are you trying to do? I mean, we're talking about healthcare, right? Healthcare uh, on the margins for folks who are, in many cases, working, you know, and trying to get by. So, again, we'll continue to expose means testing where we see it. We think it's bad policy. And by the way, like Social Security and Medicare, you know, if it's if it's fairly universal, right, it's also going to be wildly popular, folks. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're all over the socials. Uh, Check us out most prominently on Facebook, but also Instagram and Twitter. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We have been spending a lot of time talking about the state budget uh, because it will be all-consuming. It's super important. Um, We need to have a very different path on the state budget than the last two under Governor Evers. Um, Governor Evers is a, a, we have talked about this before, a critical pivotal player in this um, this uh, drama, right? Um, and so before we switch topics, what's next? Okay, we'll just very quickly and why this is so important. Now that the public hearings are over, you are going to be seeing and hearing a series of pronouncements, both public pronouncements by the leadership on the legislative from the legislative Republicans, mostly Voss, but also LeMahieu, right? About what they're going to do, what is going to be excluded. What are they? We may hear something very early later this week or early next week, sometime next week, about a number of things they're just pulling out right away. Um, so this is going to get very real in terms of where they're going and how are Republicans going to respond, but just what happens next, they go back to Madison and they start taking votes. Okay. And there are going to be all kinds of opportunities between that and the full Senate and the assembly voting, and then going to Evers for leverage. And you folks need to be listening here because we are, there's going to be tons of opportunities. Um, we're going to have lots of different ways for you to get engaged. And we really want you to get involved. Uh, Priscilla, Robert, I don't know if you have any further thought, thoughts on that. Otherwise, I do want to give one particular shout out. And Robert, I am going to 
need you back for this. Um, we want to shout out Representative Christina Shelton. Not only is she an amazing state representative, she's someone who has been a you know big supporter and member of our Northeast Organizing Co-op. But Robert, um, just she was phenomenal yesterday, not only at our press conference, but just um, you know, as an advocate, in addition to being a state rep, which is really worth calling out. And just we need more folks like her. Um, just any insight on to like just what a amazing force of nature she, uh, she is and that you witnessed yesterday, for example. Well, I, our idea and our concept and Priscilla, I'm sure we'll be talking about this a lot uh, over the coming weeks is to try to get out the circle of the normal elected officials because they're, you know, if you really look at the legislature, are these the great leaders in our society uh, or is there an issue with a kind of narrow political class that that kind of reproduces itself? And so uh, Christina Shelton is an example of that. She came out of our membership. Uh, she's very passionate. She is solid on progressive values. So she is thinking about how to move things forward with power, what's possible now, how to work with more moderate actors like Governor Evers but always with the North Star of the kind of progressive society we need to get to, right? And so she's also the, the sponsor of our really good bill, a batch care public option bill that's the most robust public option bill in the country. And because of that relationship, we work with her on drafting it. And then we provide outside support with all our members, which strengthens her hand, which is the movement politics model and Priscilla is going to be is working on one of her jobs here at Citizen Actions to find more candidates like Christina Shelton, right? And she's a first tier leader. If you talk to her, she isn't, you know, some leader that needs support because she's not as capable as the other elected officials. No, she's running circles around them. The <laughs> we need to bring the talent into leadership and government, and it needs to be talent that's connected to social movements. You aren't going to go there with your one vote and change things unless you're connected to a lot of organized people on the outside and you're all pushing in the same direction. Priscilla, back at you on uh, Christina, and in particular, right, uh, Governor Evers announced this week that, or not, he didn't announce this week, but it's in his budget to actually fund something that she has been backing uh, and you're intimately familiar with, and that is this effort to make sure every kid in the state can eat for free and 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 have access to to food so they're not hungry and can, can learn. Uh, more on that and another reason why she's an amazing leader. Yeah, uh, we need we need more Christinas, more more Darrens, more Frans. We need all of them so they're not taking these votes alone. Uh, but yes, the healthy school meals for all. Uh, what a novel concept that we just don't want kids to have to go to school hungry. I mean, we as adults know how hard it is to sit in a meeting, whether it's virtual or in person or go anywhere while we're hungry. And we can't expect these elementary and middle and high school students to learn these big things that they're learning while being hungry. Uh, so having having this bill, seeing that it's been on the front page of a lot of, of newspapers and it's getting a lot of attention um, that you know we just want kids to be fed. They just, they need to be fed. It can be done. There is there is room in the budget to fund. When we fund public education, we fund having 
kids getting getting meals. Sometimes this is the only meal that a, a good meal that a kid can can get through no fault of anybody's. Uh, but we just need kids to be to be fed so they can learn. Again, these are the kind of things that are in the state budget. It is super important. Um, but before we move on, Priscilla, one final thing I want to get your comment on. Uh, look, if you think you might want to run for office, um, just want to give you a heads up, Priscilla, tell us a little bit, give 30 seconds to a minute on, and we'll talk more about this in future shows. What's your planning around providing people supports and what we want our listeners to be thinking about in terms of people in their networks, people they think ought to be thinking about running for office. Enlighten yeah. our listeners. Our Movement Politics Academy. Oh my goodness, I am I am so excited to finally uh, be here right as I joined Citizen Action was an immediate election cycle upon election cycle. Uh, so I finally get to launch, uh, relaunch our Movement Politics Academy, uh, where if you want to run for office, if you want to be a campaign manager, a data manager, you want to be more involved and get people like Christina Shelton elected, this is for you to learn uh, how to do values-based messaging, how to get field plans going, how to talk to as many people as you can, what fundraising looks like, all of those things. The overall like brief bow I want to put on it is to just make sure that you're a progressive running for office. You're not going to be alone. You will have us. You will have organizational allies who want to support you. It's a daunting thing to step up to run for office or to step up to be a campaign manager. Uh, but we want to we want to be here to support you while you're running, while you get elected. All of it. We are we are here. I'm so excited. Um, I'll have the day up and ready super soon but for right now it's gonna happen and I want everybody who is even just thinking about getting involved to to join me in in this crusade as we fix Wisconsin well that's really exciting uh folks please consider and and again think about other folks who might be in your networks or that you've come in contact with especially younger folks women women of color other you know people who are largely maybe not often tapped and 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 their leadership um we want to uh try to help find them and support them thank you with that though i we've got a few minutes before we go to break and i do want to talk about what went on uh, in the Congress this week. Uh, and we, I'm going to first start by saying, we said last year we should not be in this situation. This whole debt ceiling fiasco is a creation of the Democrats. They could have dealt with this last year and they didn't. So I just want to state that from a basic strategic standpoint, the fact that we're even discussing this is you know, not necessarily helpful and that we're even involved in discussions about the idea that the debt ceiling should be negotiated. But that is where we're at. And McCarthy this week got his house in order, so to speak, shockingly, with a pretty thin <laughs> bill on details. But one of the clear things, and Robert, I want to get your first thoughts before we go to break. Um, he was able to get Representative Van Orden in line, got the whole crazy MAGA caucus pretty much in line and got the votes needed. Uh, folks, what they passed 
essentially allows tax cuts to the rich to become permanent and will require significant cuts to vital services. Robert, uh, before we go to break, 90 seconds on the deets, and then we'll have a brief discussion on the back end of like its importance. Robert. They actually don't have unity. They couldn't agree to an actual budget blueprint. They're all over the map. So then we're told not to look at it is details. We just need to put it on Biden. And it is holding the, the country's faith and credit hostage, which could cause economic catastrophe here and globally, since every so much is dependent upon the US dollar. It is like deciding not to pay your rent and not to, uh, after you already, you know, signed the lease just because, oh, we're spending too much now. I'm not going to pay the rent. I'm not going to pay the credit card bill. It's infantile. Um, the, the whole the whole uh, debt thing shouldn't even have to happen because the, go the government is a and Congress is agreeing to spend the amount of money when they pass a budget and they'll have to pass another budget. That's the place to do this. But they don't have unity. There is a real concern among conservative uh, economic experts that they don't understand how, what economic implications this could have with this brinksmanship. And there's a real effort by the sane conservative economic experts to talk them out of it. And they're failing because the MAGA wing of the party and the modern Republican Party is like a lot of people who are not open to reason. I was trying to explain this to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and the like. And so this is a very dangerous situation. They would end all the climate investments. Okay, we're going to have a climate genocide. They would end all the move that was made to make healthcare more affordable. And they would force us to live with the 2022 budget plus 1%, go back and live by it for 10 years. And for all of that, because that means a, an effect of 14% cut, okay? It's a huge, massive slashing cut. But in addition to all of that, they only extend the debt limit till March 2024, so they want to have another one of these before the election. Let's be clear. This will not be – Biden's not going to negotiate with them on this. That's why it's dangerous. We are likely headed, and I do believe Robert's correct, that there isn't a deep enough understanding for what they're putting at risk. But look, these are the folks who – and they, they had an insurrection. What are we talking about here? Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Priscilla, before we move on, just any thoughts you might have on the the fiasco in Congress? And you can just say, no, I would rather we all ignore it and tell them to pound sand. But any thoughts you have, Priscilla? I, I like that approach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They, uh, I, I try to give what little attention I can to them while also being like, okay, this is really bad. Uh, but just they're, they're exhausting. That's hey, what I'll, I'll put it that way. They're just exhausting. Folks, speaking of exhausting, I'm going to put a link to Senator Ron Johnson this week on climate change. It was, um, it was appalling. In fact, <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll reveal a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a partisan to Lindsay Slater's meteorology here uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, I found out about Ron Johnson through her retweet where she described it as the most ridiculous thing she has ever heard. Ron Johnson essentially this week in Congress tried to twist a, a, a climatologist research to suggest that 
it was going to be good for Wisconsin. We were going to, we were going to do well because it was going to warm up here. And, and it, you know, it was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. We'll have a link to it folks. Uh, just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with <laughs> at the federal level. But um, before we move on, I, well, actually I want to move on and we're going to do a, a, a number of a few quick hitters and we have an update and Priscilla, I'm going to uh, ask for some comment on this last week. I, at the, <laughs> I ended the show by being almost blowing a gasket over the hearing that um, John Tate, the second from Racine, former Alder, um, who's been a, I've known about him for over a decade and he's, you know, a leader on trying to think about how do we rethink what makes us safe, you know, and they, they, the Republicans went after him with trumped up charges. He's announced the good news that less than a week later, they've what has happened? <laughs> yes. Oh, I get to announce the good news. Yes. Um, these charges, this case has been dismissed, uh, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, Must have by, been really solid. <laughs> yeah. It, it got dismissed so quickly, too, after that hearing started. Um, so, yeah, just just great charges. Um, Any thoughts on on on? John, though you you yes. you know John too. Yeah, I know John. Uh, I respect John. I value having John in this movement and the work that he does and continues to do. You know, he's been put through a lot of just terrible shit these last couple years. Not just this last year, but for a while. This is what happens when you are a you know a, a powerful, smart great black man in the state of wisconsin they're gonna do this and they're gonna continue but he is not uh he's not thrown in the towel he's not just been like all right republicans are gonna do what they want he he has taken this as gracefully as possible and he's moved through in this case being dismissed as just another you know thing that really just shows you like all right this movement is strong John Tate is strong. The movement behind folks like John Tate is strong. We need more John Tates in the state as well uh, to show the Republicans that, like, yeah, we're not just gonna not gonna take whatever you throw at us. We're and, we're gonna keep fighting back. Yeah. And it is important for people to have his back. And folks, we'll put a link to the details. But just for folks who don't know what happened this week, a judge did dismiss what were felony charges against him. Uh, they were trying to argue that he had illegally negotiated the terms of his employment for a new uh, uh, violence interrupter coordinator, which he is perfectly, I like perfectly, highly uh, uh, perfect for that job. It's something he's been working his entire life on, and uh, so it's good that this uh, that this decision was tossed, like that this is done and dismissed. So. We appreciate that, and uh, we'll continue to talk more about things like this. So, Robert, I'm coming back at you because I want you to educate us a little bit about what's been going on in Milwaukee around our um, police accountability, particularly around the releasing, the policy around releasing videos of uh, officer-involved shootings. 
Um, and the response of the police association, please educate our listeners. Well, one of the big problems in the criminal justice system is, is that the police are, by definition, supposed to be public servants. They're supposed to act in the public interest. It's all paid for with public money. But they actually think that they should that they can make all the decisions and that they should not be publicly accountable. So you have what would seem like a common sense policy that when there are officer involved incidents, this is from Milwaukee in Milwaukee, that uh, it, that film needs to be released within 48 hours to the victim's family and within 15 days to the public, the Milwaukee uh, Police Association has gone ballistic and is going to sue because they claim this will compromise their investigations. These are the same entities that we also pay to lie to us every time there is a, an officer-involved incident. Their communication people paid for by us go and lie repeatedly. This is very uh, established pattern in all the major cities about what actually happened. And then, of course, the facts come out. Um, over time, if there's a lot of focus on the case. I think if there isn't, the facts may never come out and people probably are in jail who should not be in jail. If you have police who would be this fast and loose with facts about people and what they did and their crimes in order to protect themselves. This is more like a gang and a protection racket unless we let it make it function like any public entity should be, fully accountable to the public and fully accountable to the victims when something happens between police officers and a citizen who has rights. Priscilla? Yeah, um, I, while we're on this subject, want to give a quick little shout out to Amanda Avalos, who's vice chair of that Fire and Police Commission, just doing incredible work. I know Block showed up to that that hearing and testified as as well. But I think Robert pointed out something really, really important that we hear about the big cases and there are so many smaller ones that happen every single day we hear about brianna taylor and george floyd but we don't hear about these little bits and pieces that are they're all they're all important but they don't all get the attention that they need and this is going to provide such an important step in in holding police accountable uh, and the police, uh, they, they know that. Uh, I often use, when I talk about police unions, it's an oxymoron uh, because that's just just an oxymoronic statement to call it a police union. Uh, but they, they know what the accountability is gonna, gonna look like and they know what they can't get away with uh, once this starts to really, really roll. Uh, so we gotta keep that pressure up. We gotta support the, the folks on that fire and police commission in in their their fight to to hold police accountable and make Milwaukee and then Wisconsin and then everywhere just as safe as possible that the police are actually doing what they're supposed to doing in protecting everybody, not just the folks that they want to protect. Thank you for bringing up the Fire and Police Commission. That's a really important point, right? Like it it is a challenge to have public accountability over your police department. It, that has been, that is like the nut of all of this struggle and, and the power that the police association has against those structures and their ability to infiltrate and, you know, dominate those structures. So um, it is important when 
it is functioning, the Fire and Police Commission, and there's public oversight and there's real public commitment to try to figure out a way to like evolve on this and get better at this, um, we need to call that out, support it and back it. And so, Robert, thank you for like highlighting this because, folks, we're going to keep an eye on this. Um, it's very important that we win win fights like this. And because these are community led, these are not like high financed block and lit and community groups and groups have been fighting for decades to try to get serious accountability for the police department. And where does this all go back to state budget? We do not get shared revenue. We do not get additional resources. These police budgets continue to strangle our ability to do other things and a implement other approaches so all of the stuff connects and we need to be engaged at all levels and so we're going to continue here the battleground to try and focus more on that provide more opportunities and outlets for discussion of that uh and uh we're really excited robert i want to give you an opportunity any final thoughts uh on this topic that you brought up before we uh head out well we continue to have issues with open records uh, with Republicans who don't believe that they should be subject to open records and have rather like the U.S. Supreme Court that creates its own rules and doesn't apply ethics standards uh, to itself. And in fact, we had the scene Wednesday of the chief justice of the Supreme Court writing back to the Senate Judiciary Committee and giving them the hi-hat and saying he's not going to testify on the massive ethics violations of Justice Thomas and now Justice Gorsuch. Um, and Gorsuch's may have been legal, which, of course, is all another problem with our system. You can when you can have your house bought by rich people and get out of a, a huge debt when you can't sell it. And uh, that could be legal. But the point is, he won't even testify. And there's precedent for Supreme Court Chief Justice testifying. And we have we have the uh, legislature thinks has a right to destroy records when the public learn about what they're working on, where the history of things like how they worked on gerrymandering to guarantee they could ever lose a majority and did computer models and paid a million dollars to a law firm to do all that mathematical modeling. So that's what they're trying to hide from us. And just and the police have the same attitude. It's an authoritarian mindset, folks. Folks, before we go, well, I'm going to leave you with one final thing. And that is last week we had on the chief steward, Joe Avicup from Kuna Mutual Fund in Madison. Uh, they had their announcement this week. They indeed authorized a strike vote against their employer. 92% voted yes. Folks, we'll have more later as they get closer. They're not on strike now. It's been authorized and they hope they will be able to make progress. Uh, we'll put a link to a strike fund they are starting so that they can have real leverage with their employer. Hope you can uh, consider supporting it. But with that, folks, we got to end this Battleground Wisconsin. Um, we are really, really excited and want to thank Priscilla Bort for agreeing not only to join us this week, but to come back every week and be a new panelist with us. We'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.